Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, Anderson, thank you very much. I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. I have brand new reporting in the Petito case. I know why there was a renewed search in the Carlton Reserve today in Venice, Florida for Brian Laundrie. It's because police found a new clue. Uh, We'll go through what it is and what it could mean and also the latest on the Laundrie family's legal situation in a moment. But first, I know the news seems unrelentingly negative, but instead of cataloging the latest step down, here's the real question that we face. It's not about what to do. It's about whether the will exists to do what must be done. The question for you to be asking is, why does nothing get better? Another school shooting. Most shrug it off. You know, I used to be at almost all of them. Now we rarely travel to them because you only notice them if there's a shocking number of dead. That's the truth. Today, no one died at Timberview High School in Arlington, Texas. But there they are in the morning, supposed to be the place they should be safest. Thank God no one was killed, but four were hurt, three taken to the hospital. Police said there was a fight in a class. Teenager opened fire. An 18-year-old suspect is in custody. He had a 45 handgun. Under Texas law, you got to be 21 to carry a gun. The laws don't work. 2021 is on pace to be the worst year for gun violence in decades. More than 14,000 dead from guns just this year. No movement on national gun legislation. If you're lucky, your state does something. I don't even know what laws would make it better. Check all sales. No more semi-automatic rifles like the AR. Maybe, but I doubt we'll ever know. We choose instead to literally kill ourselves at a greater rate than ever before. Why? The United States has now recorded our highest increase in our nation's homicide rate in modern history. The rate rose 30 percent between 2019 and 2020, according to data from the CDC. The FBI has similar numbers. Went from about six homicides per 100,000 in 2019 to 7.8 per 100,000 in 2020. The rate still remains about a third below the rate in the early 90s, but it's a sharp spike. Why? For context, the steepest increase prior to this one was 20 percent. That was from 2000 to 2001. Guess why? Because the September 11th terror attacks were homicides. Now, are there politics to play here? Sure, but they're not being played right. Um, People are blaming Biden for this on the political right. This happened on Trump's watch. You know, once again, it's like, oh, we're not going to let them spend. We won't raise the debt ceiling. It's about the spending you did. Biden's responsible for 3% of it. These crimes are not happening on Biden's watch. The crime rate on Biden's watch is actually going down. The homicide rate is aberrant. And it was developed during Trump, if you want to point to that. But I think that that's not the 
real direction. The real direction is why? What does this say about us? It's a problem for all of us to solve if there is an us. An us meaning a collective will to be better, better than just to sit and watch others fail. Think about this. In a world of threats and tyrants and terror, you know what our biggest enemy is in America? Our fellow Americans. The pandemic is dispositive proof of that. The number of new COVID cases going down. Deaths. Did you know that deaths this year already surpassed 2020s? 352,000. Now we're higher than that. And we have vaccines. How can we be dying more after we have what keeps you from dying? We have what can save us, but far too many are still in the anti-vax camp, digesting misinformation, literally making themselves sick. Listen to what happened when Republican Lindsey Graham tried to encourage some of his constituents to get the shot. If you haven't had the vaccine, you ought to think about getting it because if you're my age, I didn't tell you to get it, you ought to think about it. 92% of the people in the hospitals in South Carolina are unvaccinated. This is what happens when you feed the fires of ignorance and animus. They are now at a point where if facts don't match their feel, forget it. Booed for suggesting to think about getting a vaccine. Our politics reflect our national forced failure. This is where we are, and it is all preventable. Deaths from COVID, no-brainer. Deaths from guns, no-brainer, but not as simple. And we're not a law away, but we don't even try. And the question is, does anyone want better? You rush to yes, right? Good, I want to also. But then why are we forcing all this failure on ourselves? Why is everybody's pitch for power about how the country will be getting worse? Let's discuss with a much better mind. Michael Smirkanish. First, let's start with what should be the easy answer. Do you believe there is the will to make things better in America? Well, first of all, good evening, Debbie Downer. I mean, holy crap, really? I share your frustration, but my glass is half full. Call me naive. I still believe there's more that unites us in this country than divides us. You would just not know it from looking at the political class. But Chris, I'm telling you anecdotally and based on data, I believe there's more commonality in this country than you would otherwise suspect. And I can cite the data for you. I can point to the polling information. Yes, some of the issues that you've identified seem insurmountable. If we could only dislodge the loudest voices and take back from them the real conversation in this country, I remain convinced that we could actually get things done. I guess we have to figure out what the definition of we is. Because I'll give you your point all day long, Michael, in terms of on the local level. Uh, communities all across this country galvanize. They come together. They help each other in ways big and small. We see it all the time. But that doesn't translate to the national. 
And the pandemic will stand the test of time in history as one of the greatest, if not the greatest failure in American history. You had the way to get better and you intentionally made yourself sick. Our vaccination rate is the lowest among people with the level of vaccine access that we have. Why, Michael? Well, I think partisanship has a lot to do with that. I think like so many other issues, we suited up in our usual armor because we heard leaders on opposite sides of the spectrum telling us either to get vaccinated or to be vax hesitant. And unfortunately, too many followed the latter. I look at this Facebook story this week as the microcosm of all that Chris Cuomo is describing. From a variety of different angles, Chris, we are rewarding conflict. Conflict sells and agreement is cast aside. It's all about eyes and ears and mouse clicks and getting people to hang in there largely because whoever is the the spreader of information, so-called information, has a profit motive to keep us going back for more. And we need to recognize that about ourselves before there can be any progress. Look, you mentioned the gun issue. I mean, we're saddled with the Second Amendment in this country. There are other institutional factors that are weighing against us. It's dark money and it's closed primaries and a half a dozen other things that I could rattle off. But look at the data of Morris Fiorina at Stanford where he documents that in the last 40 plus years, there hasn't been a sea change on issues or ideology among Americans. Mm -hmm. We haven't had some radical change in our position on the death penalty or abortion or the social safety net. We're pretty much where we were before. It's who now is orchestrating the conversation. And that's what upsets me the most. Mm. Only thing I'd add to the gun conversation is we're not a law away from fixing it. There is a culture of violence. There is a culture of homicide in this country that is unlike. Yes, we have more guns than anywhere else. And somebody's going to pull out some random study that says, you know, we're really not any more violent than everyone else. We are when it comes to gun crime. And we are about the suicidal, homicidal tendency. And it's about something in our culture that we need to discuss and have better minds figure it out. But here's where I am. I'm an American, brother. I'm pointing this out because the question is, Why aren't things getting better? Uh, That was Biden's pitch, right? I can heal. I can heal. We look at his poll numbers. He's upside down. He's got 45% approval uh, at best, right? Different polls say different things, but he's underwater. Uh, Why do you think he's underwater? And what does that mean? So let me address your first question. I, I think the problem is, I, I believe that something you and I have in common is that we're both very passionate, although we're centrist or independent. I don't want to speak for you. You can speak for yourself. But we're a bit unusual in that regard. And I think that while most of the country is, is vested somewhere toward the center, center left, center right, doesn't really matter, you'd never know it because these are the folks who take a pass on getting involved. So who puts up the yard sign? Who writes the check? Who rolls up their sleeve to go get signatures for a candidate? It's far left folks and it's far right folks. There needs to be engagement by those of us who are somewhere in between because we could have the votes. Look at Gallup. Look at the data. More people identify as being independent in this country than look at Republican or Democratic affiliation. So we're here. There's strength in numbers if only we would exercise it. So why do you think Biden's underwater? 
I think Biden's underwater because he doesn't have a victory he can point to. I, I think that uh, Democrats blew it by, at the end of last week, not giving him the $1.2 trillion victory and instead holding back and hoping that they can get a 3.5 win that I don't know that the majority of Americans are really supportive of. I, I think to go back to where I began, a large part of the country is wondering, how are we going to pay for all this? He should have taken the win. So beyond saying, I'm not Donald Trump, and I've restored some semblance of normality to this conversation, like really, what can he point to? We're out of Afghanistan. It came with a pretty significant cost at the end. Nothing's gotten done on infrastructure. Nothing's gotten done on a new Voting Rights Act. There's a lot of things that he promised that he hasn't been able to deliver. And frankly, he better start herding cats and getting these progressives to play ball with moderates, or we're going to head into 2022 and it'll be even worse. I think that uh, you're right about his task, except I would flip uh, the uh, suggestion. I think you have to get the moderates to play with the progressives because Biden's with them on the spending. And the only thing uh, I don't understand, Michael, is the spending is popular red and blue, north and south, every place, every face. These programs, when you talk to people, you know, that's what they're beating Joe Manchin over the head with. You go to West Virginia, you ask the Republicans, Trump won by 40 points. Do you need help with daycare? Do you want free community college? Do you want help with prescription drugs? Everybody's yes on the spending bill categories. Why do you say you don't think people want it? Price tag? I, I want all those things, but I, I'm looking at different polling data than you are if, if you're suggesting that the country is lock, stock, and barrel on his side in this. I, I don't think that's the case. I think if you ask any American, do you want community college or the other things that, that you've identified for free, the answer is going to be yes. But sooner or later, we're going to have to pay the piper. We haven't had a conversation in this country about debt since Simpson Bowles back in, what was it, 2010 on yeah. Obama's watch. It'll never happen. You know, here's why. Politicians chin, chin up. Listen, my message for you, my message for you is chin up. Okay? Don't be so despondent. There is good news out there if you just read these tea leaves. I uh Yeah, I don't agree. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you why. I am an optimist otherwise this would be my last show, okay? Uh because the reality ain't enough, Michael. I'll tell you that right now and the, and and the life that comes with it sure as hell ain't worth it. What I'm saying is I believe uh, that the effort is worth it because there is better to come. I'm saying right now, we need to ask ourselves, why aren't things getting better? And I think the simple answer is because we are insistent on making them worse. And you have to look at it macro. Right now, everything is about seeing someone else fail in the larger uh, kind of discussion of our politics. That's what's got to shift. The question is, what will make it shift? And that's why I brought you on. And then you just beat me up for my disposition, which is okay. I'll, I'll take that. I had a good Not day. Not at all. I listen, one listen, of the just a, fi a final today, word Michael, if I so might. This is all gravy. Last point to you, then I'll go. Okay, so let's stop incentivizing not getting things done. Let's start yes. rewarding actual achievement yes. and accomplishment. Old Amen. school. Get, get to Congress, Amen. bide your time, establish seniority, become a committee chair, and pass something. Yes. Not, be, not be a superstar because you said something bombastic yes. and raised a boatload of money. Amen. 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 And I'll tell you what, if you get rid of these parties and you have multiple instead of just two, you'd have a different spectrum. You'd have more stakeholders. You'd have a better system and you don't have to change the Constitution to do it. Smirk, I love you. Thank you for keeping me in check. And thank you for checking the fish. In. The fish was this big. It was this big. I'm I told. will send you a picture of the fish 
and you can decide for yourself how big it was. I'll tell you what, though. You both had the same haircut. <laughs> I'm coming back with more on the brand new information <laughs> on our watch. A new clue in the manhunt for Brian Laundry. Now, this matters. And there's also information out there that I don't think matters. We'll go through both next. We do have breaking news in the Gabby Petito case. A source call, uh, close to the Laundry family has told me that law enforcement says they found fresh traces of a campsite in the reserve. As you know, authorities are currently searching for Brian Laundry in the Carlton Preserve in Venice, Florida. An attorney for the Laundry family says the parents believe that's exactly where he's located, located. Quote, they don't believe he's in another area. They believe he is in the preserve. Why do they believe that? Now, that goes to a huge aspect of speculation and curiosity about this story, about what the parents knew, when they knew it, and why they refused to communicate with the Petito family and why they won't speak to authorities about what may or may not have happened between their son and Gabby Petito. CNN has reached out about this information to Northport Police. They say the FBI is the lead on the case and would be the ones to confirm new details. FBI has not gotten back to us. Let's bring in Joey Jackson. Uh, first of all, this uh, always good to have you, brother. This is the kind of thing they are looking for right now, some trace that the kid is actually there. Um, I have to believe that even if they did find remnants of a campsite, that's very different than finding him. Um, but this is what the search is all about, right? Yeah, there's no question about it. And so obviously you may find remnants of a, of a campsite, but the question becomes whose campsite? It's a large world. And so we can't automatically presume and assume that it's his. I think investigators, in my view, Chris, are doing three separate things. Number one, obviously, they're still uh, really dealing with the autopsy issues relating to, right, first point and issue, the victim here, Gabby Petito. They're looking for information as it relates to her and what they found, what the autopsy shows, what the crime scene shows. I think, number two, Chris, they're presenting that information before the grand jury and three, to circle back to your initial point, with respect to finding Brian Laundry, they want to find him. They need to find him if they ought to bring him to justice. The issue is whether there's someone to find or whether something, you know, some other thing happened to him, which would be obviously meaning that he wasn't alive. And so a lot to ferret out, a lot for investigators to do. But we can't speculate because there were remnants of a campsite that they had any connection or nexus to Brian Laundry at all at this point without further information. Right. I mean, look, I think it, it is a possible step for them. Uh, but I think we would know if they were anywhere close uh, to finding him in that location. And we haven't seen that. Gabby Petito, we know that her body was found near a used campsite. Now that goes uh, once again, Joey, to uh, this act of passion that this may well have been someone she was familiar with because this is where she was staying. This is where she was. She wasn't found uh, buried somewhere or secreted somewhere else. Uh, and that goes also pointing to Brian Laundrie. Now, a finger at him is also a finger at his family. And people can't get past that they wouldn't talk to the Petito family when they were saying, we don't know where the kids are, and that they won't talk to the police about what might have happened. They say that has to mean that they knew something and that something has to be bad. Your take? Well, you can't blame people, right? Because let's talk about before we get into the niceties of the law, human nature, which you and I have discussed. 
you talk about a relationship between two parties. That relationship was supposed to be predicated upon love, mutual respect, trust, protection. And so you're the one person who was with their daughter. Would you not think or believe that you would have information that could help the police to find her if you believe she was alive or to protect her in some way? And so if you don't reveal that information, right, human nature would suggest, now let's get into the law of circumstantial evidence, consciousness of guilt, state of mind of the party, that would all suggest that if you're not part of the solution, sir, you're part of the problem. And so you can't blame people for, I don't think they're jumping to a major conclusion, they're drawing an inference that if you didn't assist, it must mean you did something wrong. And I, I would hasten to say, that if I were prosecuting the case, that's exactly the inference I would ask the jury to draw. Not there yet, but speaking with respect to how you prove this case, Chris, this is a circumstantial case right. so far. Well, you most are, right? Oh, 97% or so, you know, of your cases are going to be circumstantial. But here's the last point I want us to go through, Joey, sure. is that uh, when you're talking about the family, oh, they changed the timeline. How did they get a day wrong? Look, my reporting hasn't changed. Um, the lawyer for the, the, the authorities, um, the lawyer's not the issue here. It's the timing. And yes, they were told not to talk. So they changed the timeline. Look, if, they, if the feds believe they changed the timeline by buying this kid a day, you can't lie to the feds. It's a crime. Uh, so we would see something moved on them real fast. But my reporting stays the same. The night of the 13th or the morning of the 14th, the federal authorities were told that the kid hadn't come home. What they did with that information, when they communicated it at all to the North Fort Port Police, that's on the feds, not on the family. Do you believe the timeline change makes a difference? And do you believe the family is staring at any kind of legal exposure? So Chris, it has to make a difference, right? Going back to the issue of human nature, which we lawyers always say, you know this very well, right? We argue common sense and good judgment. There are certain events in your life you cannot forget. Your son leaves. Do you not know what day of the week that would be? The day you got married, do you not know what day that is? Your birthday, how about that? Do you know what day that might be? And so there are certain days on a timeline that are so significant to us as a matter of our human experience that when they're altered, it makes us go, hmm, was there some nefarious reason as to why? And so my take on that is that it's highly problematic at best and criminal at worst. Last point, Chris, and that's this. You know, I'm not ready. Well, I'm almost there in terms of indicting the family, but I would what? have to think that they would, because on when what, I say indicting charge? them, I don't mean, when I say indicting them, I'm using that, I have to be careful in a layman's term, right? Yeah. My layman's term with respect to what they knew, what they didn't know, what they shared, what they could have shared, what they specifically did and what they did but not do. But even if do. they and know so all say, of it, even if they know everything, Joey, that's not a crime. No, it's not a crime at all, but it would be a crime in the event, let's talk about hindering prosecution. Let's talk about obstruction of justice. Let's talk about accessory after the fact. What do those terms mean? In the event that you're Nothing if you don't ever put charges against Brian Laundry. Well, listen, that will be contingent upon whether he's found, right? That's, right? That's number one. But I think with regard to the family, in the event you know information and you're given faulty timelines, that's obstructing justice. That's if it's a faulty timeline, they may have messed up their dates. Apparently they did. But if the authorities, the federal authorities, the, the cops were told, the local cops on the 17th, and that got everybody upset. 
you know, oh, he's been missing since Monday and you don't tell us for all this time. Why, why, why? If the reporting stands that they told the federal authorities uh, the night of the 13th or the morning of the 14th that the kid was not coming home, what difference does it make if they mess up the dates? The difference is, is it what we call, not to get fancy, is it a material misrepresentation? Again, you have to establish that you yep. knowingly and willingly misrepresented. That's and what would can, trigger say, a federal offense of lying to the FBI. Days, I'm with you. I'm just saying, <laughs> if they told the cops when they say they told, if they told the FBI when they say they told the FBI, then I don't know how the FBI could be upset about this. But we'll see. Joey Jackson, I appreciate you. You are a better mind. Let's go to Not Idaho. better than yours. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. It's the first thing you've ever said that's false on this show. What's going on <laughs> in Idaho? Uh, there's a feud between the state's two top leaders. Its governor goes out of state for a short trip. The lieutenant governor swoops in, takes power, and takes action. Now, it's a very interesting question. Did she have the right to do it? Maybe. But did she do something that was right? We're going to bring in someone who spoke with that lieutenant governor today. Next. Want a window into how ugly it's getting on the right side of the political aisle? The Republican governor of Idaho is accusing the state's lieutenant governor, also a Republican, of going rogue. The governor is Brad Little. He was visiting the border with other Republicans. So he leaves, right? The lieutenant governor, Janice McGeehan, McGeechan, uh, who's also running for his job in the primary next year, tried to make his COVID rules tougher and even asked about possibly deploying the National Guard to the border. She does have the power under the state constitution. It's not unlike this in most states, if not all. The governor is out of the state. The lieutenant governor is the governor. Of course, the governor says he's going to change it back when he gets home. Governor, do you have to the actions by your lieutenant governor? We have to. we got to go. go. All right. Can you just give yeah, a, a brief statement about We'll, we'll about take it. care of it. Do you think it's political? <laughs> it could be political. Any good flack. Did you hear his guy there? We have to go, governor. We have to go. They never want the people in power to answer tough questions. That's like that person's job. The lieutenant governor was on the radio this morning saying it is her job. Listen. We are the second in command of the state of Idaho that if any time the governor leaves the state or God forbid something were to happen to the governor and we pray for his safety and well-being every day, that I need, I would be, it's my obligation and duty to step forward and be, and be the commander of the state. McGeechan made those comments to our guest, host of the Kevin Miller Show on KIDO Talk Radio. Kevin, it's good to have you, brother. Chris, great to be with you. Big fan. So what do you make of this situation? What's really happening here? Well, Chris, in Idaho, the Republican Party has a supermajority. So the Republican Party is so big that the primary is the general election, as we've seen in other states. You have the governor, who's a pragmatist, but he's an establishment guy going up against the Liberty folks led by the Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan. They don't like each other. It's getting personal, and it will continue to get personal. And this happened in May, the first time the governor left the state. 
She uh, signed an executive order eliminating mask mandates in the state. When he returned, he uh, scolded her publicly and rescinded the order. And he just arrived back tonight, so he rescinded the order already. McGeehan, not McGeechan. Thank you for correcting me. Apologize. Um, So in terms of what this says about the state of play of party politics uh, on the right side of the aisle, uh, what's your take? Well, uh, again, you have the governor who has the business community, and the governor's a pragmatist. Governor Inslee of Washington, Chris, has criticized him, said the state of Idaho has not done enough. There was never a statewide mask mandate. There was never a vax mandate. And the governor is very shrewd about that in how he handles things. On the other hand, you have people like the lieutenant governor who have said he hasn't done enough. He uh, empowered health districts during the COVID first phase and deemed what was and what wasn't essential She has called, and others in the liberty movement within the Republican Party in Idaho, have called for the end of the state of emergency. He has not rescinded that because, Chris, as you know, there is big money from the feds from COVID relief. Yes. And if you don't do what they want you to do, you don't get the relief money, obviously. Um, All right. So, Kevin, uh, looking at you a little bit, um, you are a real conservative. Okay, You are what I only used to know as a conservative. Now it's changing. Liberty Party seems to me to be code really for fringe slash Trump as a real conservative or what it used to mean to be conservative. um, What is your take on this power struggle and how it is being reflected really in the GOP overall? Well, Chris, that's a great point. Uh, I'm a Buchanan conservative from the old days, um, a populist, uh, a social conservative, The liberty movement is let's legalize marijuana, let's eliminate aid from the federal government. It's very extreme, and they don't have a problem expressing that. There's been a lot of protest, as you've seen, mask mandates and the others. And the establishment, on the other hand, they have the money, they have the control, Chris. So what do they do? They try to squash it. And we'll see that in the primary, where not only do you have the Lieutenant Governor McGeehan, but you have a familiar friend of of yours, Ammon Bundy, running in Idaho as well. Mm. I think he brought a dead uh, lamb on my show once uh, to make a point about what was happening on his ranch. And we wound up getting into a fight about why the lamb had died, um, because obviously he was keeping himself from being able to feed any of his animals. Uh, But look, this is going to be an interesting laboratory for you guys about which way your party is going to go, because you know, you don't hear this that often, but the way Idaho goes may be the way the GOP goes on the national level as well. So we'll be watching. Uh, Kevin, look forward to having you back. Good luck, brother, and thank you. Thank you, Chris. All right. Here's a, a question that you only would be asking these days, given our politics. Have you seen this former Trump aide? That's Dan Scavino of Twitter fame. Congress has been looking for him for more than a week. Why? Because he is dodging, apparently, a subpoena. Why? Because he doesn't seem to want to talk about what he knows about January 6th. Why do this if there's nothing wrong about January 6th? Can we expect more of this? And what happens if they don't comply? Subpoena, subpoena is Latin for under penalty. A true bolo. Next. Bolo, be on the lookout for Dan Scavino. He was Trump's White House deputy chief of staff. He's also 
missing. Congress apparently can't find Scavino to physically serve him with a subpoena to come and testify. He's one of four Trump aides subpoenaed by the select committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. That's in addition to 11 other Trump allies who were involved in planning the rally that day. Let's bring in Elliot Williams uh, to figure out where this goes. The elusive Scavino. Uh, We know what's happening here. This is not uncommon. Um, The only way to quash the subpoena is going to be if there's no true legislative purpose behind it. There is. So what do you think happens next? Look, and you're absolutely right, Chris. The problem, if he has a base, let's go into fantasy land for just a moment and, and imagine that he has an argument that this is an illegitimate subpoena, that it shouldn't happen, whatever. There's a way to challenge it. You go to court. You don't just take your ball on your bat and your documents and go home. It is a disrespect of the process and of Congress. We've seen it, frankly, before, um, and we're seeing it again here. But what do you think it suggests about what we're going to see from Trump folk in terms of how they regard this? Yeah, look, I think, Chris, if there's anything that President Trump will go down in history for, among many things. It's disrespect for Congress as a co-equal branch of government. And we're seeing it yet again with the subpoenas, with uh, stalling and delaying and not showing up. Now, look, Congress has ways of fighting this. They can, number one, file a lawsuit in civil court uh, to, uh, to enforce compliance. Two, they can go to the attorney general uh, and seek uh, uh, criminal contempt charges. And there's also this old, uh, you know, more than a century-year-old process of inherent contempt that Congress can go down. They have tools and they're trying to move quickly. And I wouldn't be shocked if they went down the road of pursuing one of them. If they're trying to buy time, whom does time favor here? You know, it's really hard to say. It's clear that the committee really, really wants to move uh, quickly, Chris. Look, I think it's been about 14 years that I've been working in or around Congress, and I have never seen a congressional proceeding moving this quickly. They have a deadline tomorrow for documents, testimony next week. There's another deadline for documents next week, testimony the week after that. Like, it just doesn't move this quickly. And clearly, Congress has a huge interest, this committee, in getting this done and getting it wrapped up uh, by the spring, that's sort of what we've all heard. Congress really needs to move. So, you know, perhaps they're penalized a little bit um, or they suffer a little bit if there is a delay. But I still think just based on the schedule we've seen thus far, they're being very aggressive and aren't going to let up on uh, if the president and his, and his allies are going to not comply with these subpoenas. True Bolo, be on the lookout for Dan Scavino. <laughs> Elliot Williams, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Despite January 6th, and the incessant lies, support for Trump is only growing within his party. You can call me Debbie Downer like Smirk did, but the question is the same. Why can't anything get better? Can the Wizard of Odds answer why the negative seems to be growing? What's in the numbers? He doesn't know. He must. Next. The Idaho story is interesting, the Republican and the lieutenant, the Republican governor and lieutenant governor fighting because it's about the two different sides of this party, the fringe. Trump is here to stay, not because of Trump, but because of the animus that he played to. New polling shows support for him as the agent of that animus is only growing even though he lost. Republicans want him to retain a major political role as well as to run again in 2024. You know who tells me that? Harry Enton, here with the numbers. Wiz, prove it. Here, I'll prove it for you. Pew Research Center poll just out today. 
Should Trump remain a major political figure nationally? What do we see? 67% now say that they, he should among Republican leaners. That is up from 57% back in January 2021. So we're seeing that support grow. Now, let's put this more in a historical comparison, right? And look at where Trump is right now versus where he was four years ago when he was president. And then also compare it to where he was just as he was launching. This is Trump is the first choice in a GOP primary. A majority, he is a the majority choice for first choice, 53%. That's a little bit lower than it was in October of 2017 when he had the incumbency advantage, but he starts out at a much higher level than he did when he launched his first bid when he was just at 3%. It seems just so long ago. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think the June thing works anymore. I mean, he's been president since then. So how does the support around him compare to presidents when they lost an election? Yeah, I love this. Because normally when you lose an election- You're a loser. Oh, you're a loser. You're a loser. But here's the thing. He's a winner in their mind. Look, he's in first place. Compare that to H.W. Bush in the first polls after the 92 race for, for the 1996 primary. He was in fourth. Carter was in third after 80. And then look at that. Even Ford was only in second place. And that was a very, very tight contest. So this is historically very, very unusual. And I know what your next question in your mind might be. Why is that? Because in, remember, in the Republicans' minds, he's not a loser. They think 2020 wrongly was fraudulently decided. So all of a sudden, if you don't think that the last election was legitimate, why not put Trump back in front? And the fact is that at least at this point in our own CNN polling, a bare majority believe he actually has the best chance of beating the Dems. And that number matches very nicely with that 53% we saw in the last slide. So the reason that I did the Idaho story isn't just that I want Kevin Miller's beard. But because uh, what will win the soul of that party, uh, the fringe Trumper or will the real conservative? So on the national level, you look at a Cheney, you look at a Romney. I won't include Kinzinger in there yet because he's a little green. But what do you think? I mean, Trump is the message that wins right now. And the fact is, if you criticize Donald Trump, you're not welcomed in the Republican Party. In fact, if you look at the polls, what do you see in terms of should GOP, should the GOP be accepting of elected officials who critique Trump? Just 36 percent of Republicans say they should be very or somewhat accepting. The clear majority, 63 percent, say not to or not at all accepting. And look at that. That not to or not at all accepting has grown since March of 2021. So what we've seen actually during the Biden administration is that support for Trump has grown and support for basically kicking those folks out of the party who critique him has also grown. So what we know is at this point, one of the best arguments for Biden in the primary was none of you people can talk to the people who are angry and frustrated and disaffected. Uh, and who believe this country is being taken away from them personally and collectively, I can. It doesn't seem that he's been able to build that bridge thus far. No, he hasn't been able to build that bridge so far. I mean, the fact is, we know that Joe Biden's approval rating is at the lowest point it's been in his presidency. We know that Trump's support within the GOP is only growing. We know that among independents now that uh, Joe Biden's net approval rating, approval minus disapproval, is now at the lowest point in its presidency, minus about 20 points. That's about equivalent to where Trump was at this point with independence. So the idea that Joe Biden is the answer, at least at this point in the minds of plenty of voters who might have been not exactly in love with Donald Trump, uh, but we're skeptical of the Democratic Party. The answer so far is not really no. All right. So now let's really test your wizard credentials. Go what ahead. do you see 
as what could change the state of play, both for a Biden and for whomever his opponent is, even Trump? What would be two big events to look for? I think, number one, we know that the vast majority of voters right now don't believe that Joe Biden has accomplished very much. So I'm going to be watching both those pieces of legislation being negotiated right now in the United States House and Senate, both the $1.2 trillion bill, the infrastructure bill, and the $3.5 trillion, the large social uh, platforms bill, seeing if either one of those can get passed. If they can, now all of a sudden you think, oh, wait a minute, Joe Biden can actually do something. The other thing I'll be looking at, look, is the same thing we've been looking at the last two years. That is the state of the economy and COVID. If both of those get better, I think Biden's approval could go up. Mm. Harry Anton, The Wiz, well done and thank you. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break. When we come back, the handoff. I think Debbie Downer really goes to saying everything is bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to start asking why aren't things getting better? Don Lemon Tonight starts right now with its big star, star D Lemon. I think there are a lot of things that are getting better. I saw that Debbie Downer was like, oh, the smirk is going, smirk conscious is going after Chris. I understand. Look, I see both sides. I know, you know, I always call you both sides, Cuomo. I see both sides. I see why you would be sort of a glass half empty right now. Um, But there are a lot of things that are going right. And I think we should highlight those things as? as well. Well, such as there is a possible pill that helps people when they get sick with COVID, that the COVID numbers are coming down despite the vaccine hesitant people in this country, Um, that there may be a deal. It looks like a deal is in the works when it comes to infrastructure in this country, and that will help. Um, So I think there are some good things. And also, I think that on the other side, I, I think the concern should be not whether Republicans love Trump. We know that. Duh. Um, I think the concern should be with Joe Biden's approval rating, approval ratings at an all-time well, low, from 50 percent to 38 percent. You have to see the relationship no, between there's not, the two. I, there's not, I, don't, I don't see the relationship there. I think one is looking at a reality. There is a president in office now. People are not happy with the job he's doing. The other one is a hypothetical. What would happen if he gets back? Could he get back? What have you? There's a difference between an an approval rating. I'm talking about Trump now, a high approval rating, and whether or not people want to see him run. But that I think let's not get ahead of ourselves because that may happen or may not happen. I think people should be concerned with the actual reality of what's happening now. The person who is controlling the levers of government or the party that's controlling the levers of government now. That's the Democratic Party. That's Joe Biden's party. The approval rating should be concerning for Democrats and especially for Joe Biden, because that also shows whoever he may come up against in 2024, if he doesn't get his agenda across the finish line, it's going to be an uphill battle or an uphill climb for him. That's where the concern should be. Not on a what if, woulda, shoulda, coulda, who knows what's going to happen. Is he going to run? Is it going to be DeSantis? Okay, don't get ahead of yourself. What about, can the Democrats and the people in Washington, Republicans as well, can they get the work done for the American people? Can they get the work done for the people who put this current president in office? That's where the focus should be for the time being. Well, that's always the focus. It's just that the answer is an obvious no. And the reason that the answer is no is because of what you're saying doesn't matter that much, which I uh, differ with. I'm sure it doesn't matter that much. I'm just saying priorities, people. I, I know. But the state of play is that Biden's numbers are upside down for two main reasons. One, he's got no big wins. And two, things don't feel 
better in terms of the nature of the spirit of the country. He's got his own party going at it with one another. And you can call that Big Ten politics. I call that BS. The other part is that it is very much the reality that Republicans overwhelmingly want Donald Trump to run again. And the people who are seen as presumptive contenders kissing his hiney is also proof uh, that they are going to play to his return. So I think that's very much a reality. It's also why Biden can't get anything done with the Republicans, because they are playing to the animus. That's the state of play right now. As you always say, the two parties aren't even. It's true. The Democrats are making their own problems, and the Republicans are trying to make problems for Biden. So Biden has everything going they're against him. They're trying to make problems for the right country now. because the, that reflects bad, poorly on Biden. So they're actually harming the country yes. by trying to harm uh, this. But I, I, just, I just think that, you know, we over-index Trump and the Trump supporters. We always, before he was president, what do they think? We oh, over-index could he do, could his supporters do? because they're a minority uh, yeah. and we make it sound like they're half the country. Right. Thank you. And so I'm saying the same thing is happening with the, oh, well, what, what is he going to do? With it? Okay, fine. He may run. We'll deal with that. But he's I not running yet. I don't think he does. I'll go on okay. record right now. Okay. Well, I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, and I don't know if, if he does, if he could actually win. Because as you say, it's not half the country. And the people who are polling, it's among likely voters for Republicans or just Republicans. Leaners. Leaners. Okay, fine. Of course we know that. Duh. Republicans well, love Donald Trump. We, duh. Okay, next. I think the reason he doesn't run can I have is a because beer? he I mean. could win, but he likely won't win. Won't win, yeah. And him taking a double L, um, yeah. I don't believe he can destroy the democracy. Anything is possible. Yeah. Um, but I think this country and its institutions are stronger than the challenge presented to I'm us. I'm not saying that we don't. We, we should we, we're not aware of it. We shouldn't be aware of it. I'm not saying that nah, we, whatever. That. No, but I'm just saying I'm just saying, no, I'm just I just want to I make sure because, you know, people get things out of context. I'm saying that let's look at what's important in front of us right now. What's the best thing for the American people as far as elected officials are concerned? What's the best thing for an informed electorate as far as you and I are concerned? The people who are in power now, what are they doing? holding them accountable. Donald Trump is no longer in power. So let's keep Joe Biden, his administration, Republicans and Democrats in office now. Let's keep their feet to the fire, truth to power in the moment that we're in and worry about Donald Trump if that time comes when the right time is. That's what's in the interest of the American people. Deals on all the issues that matter and then they can judge the deals and that should elevate the outcome of the election. Deal. Handshake. I'll see you later. Love you, D. Lemon. <laughs> I love That's you, a brother. Meme. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.